Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad you're here. You guys made it. We didn't have anybody show up early today, so well done with the time change. That's excellent. Um, again, my name's. It is snowing out there. My wife just told me it is actually snowing out there. So, uh, we're just gonna stay here forever. It's gonna be awesome. We get snowed in. It's all good. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we got some coffee. We got some snacks. Uh, again, once again, for those of you who don't know, my name's Matt, and I'm the lead pastor here along with my wife, Tanya. We're so grateful and blessed to be your lead pastors and get to serve alongside pastors Mike and Ev. Uh, we love the, the church. We love you. And at Life Church, our purpose here is to care for and bring people to Jesus. Um, for those of you who have not been with us, we've been in a series in the book of Revelation. And in the interest of time, I'm going to dive right into it. Okay, you guys with me? So if you have a Bible this morning, I'd like you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Um, what we've been doing is the seven letters from the Apostle John. Now, just to give you a little bit of a, a heads up, a, a, um, a refresher, John is, is on the Isle of Patmos. He's a prisoner. He's exiled to that island because he has refused to take part in what was common at that time, emperor worship. And so the worship required and, and pushed people to worship him, the emperor, and, and John refused to do that. And because of that, he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. While he's there, it says, in the spirit on the Lord's day, Jesus appeared to him. And said, so, listen, I've got some messages for some churches. And we believe when Jesus is speaking here that there's a message for the churches, but there's something for us to take away as well. And so we've been doing a series on the seven churches. This morning, we are diving into the fifth letter. And it is to the letter of the church of Sardis. Somebody say Sardis. I'm just going to tell you I have an affinity for this particular letter because I grew up in Chilliwack. And just so you know, there's a place in Chilliwack called Sardis. My grandpa's taught school in Sardis. So it's, it's kind of got a little special place in my heart today. Um, so Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. If I were to title this message, it would be this. Wake up! All right, here we go. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation this morning. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up! Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed it first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. And if you don't wake up, I will come suddenly as an unexpected as a thief. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. God, that your word is living and active, that your word is sharper than a two-edged sword, and that your word will accomplish what it is set out to do, and it will not return void. And Father, this morning we pray that as the word of God is preached, Lord God, that our hearts would be receptive and open to receive it. Father God, that all of us would be changed, Lord Jesus. I pray that this morning, Lord God, that our hearts and minds would be in tune with your presence and your spirit, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would work upon me this morning as I de deliver this word and share the word that you've given me. Help me to speak clearly, concisely, and quickly. We ask it now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, 
Amen. So, how are we going to start this today? Today, what we're going to do is we're going to zoom out for just a moment and give you a little bit of context into the city of Sardis. Now, the city of Sardis is, you can put the next one up, located right there, Sardis. Now, what we know about the history of this, this particular city is that it was wealthy. It was situated at a junction of several important roads and trade routes. Uh, the connection between Sardis and money uh, was well known in the ancient world. Also, one of the things we do know about the geography of Sardis is that it was actually located in a very strategic area. Uh, it was up on some high cliffs, and so surrounding it, uh, they felt basically that they were impregnable against any type of attack. This made the people of Sardis become lazy and trust too much in their location. It was historically, this is interesting, it was actually conquered twice. Um, Sardis was conquered in 549 B.C. Sorry, I'm a little bit of a nerd about history, so just flow with me here. 549 B.C., uh, it was conquered by the Persian king Cyrus. And I love this story because apparently what they did is they put a siege around the city of Sardis. And the people of Sardis were so confident that it, they would never be taken that they didn't put any guards at the gates. They were, they were basically snobby about their location. They thought that they were good, that nobody could get to them. And the story goes that there's a soldier that was leaning his head over the wall, and he dropped his helmet. And the helmet went down over the cliff. And the, 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 the um, Cyrenians, these guys, uh, was the King Cyrus, uh, the Persians, watched as this man left the gate and walked down a hidden uh, staircase or, or a hidden way down to retrieve his helmet. And they realized that there was another way up to get to the city. So the next day, they gathered everybody together, their, their, their soldiers, and they crawled up this secret route and just walked through the gates and took the city. This is the city of Sardis. Now, this actually, you could say, well, okay, that happened once. All right, yeah, fool me once, right? Now, guess what? It happened again. They did it again. In 214 B.C., armies of Antiochus the Great captured the city by the same method. This is Sardis, asleep at the wheel. The great characteristic of Sardis was that even on pagan lips, Sardis was a name of contempt. Its people were notoriously loose living, notoriously pleasure and luxury loving. Sardis was a city of decadence. Now, what about the church in Sardis? Well, the church in Sardis was one of the larger churches that we're going to read about. It was actually the largest of the seven. It was well organized. They had great programs. They had lots of things that were going on. They were kind of a happening thing in their community. And according to scholars, they were also quite wealthy. So isn't it interesting that the start of the letter says this, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works and that you have the name that you are alive, but you are dead. What it's telling us here, church, is that it's possible to have the appearance of being alive. It's possible to have breath in your body. It's possible to be taking up oxygen on this planet and have the appearance that you are alive, but in fact, to be dead. It's possible to live a life apart from real life. It's possible to live that type of life. And what would cause somebody to be dead like this? And, and, and obviously what he's talking about here is this idea of spiritual death. And I'm going to give you the answer right now. The answer is living apart from a relationship with Jesus. Daryl Johnson, in his book, 
Discipleship on the Edge, when he's speaking of the Christian life, says this, It is a life that can only be lived in relationship. In relationship with Jesus through his Holy Spirit. It is a life we cannot live apart from him. It is a life we cannot sustain in and of ourselves. So we have a picture here of a church that is full and wealthy and happening and things are going on, but they're missing the main ingredient. You know what it is? A relationship with Jesus. A relationship with Jesus. So let this be a warning to us this morning, church, that we can have the appearance of being alive. But do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? What are some things that would cause them to, 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 to live a life where they look like they're alive, but they're actually dead? I know some things we, I mentioned here are like things like sin. Romans 6, 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So right there you have this idea that sin leads to death, which is really separation from God. We could have laziness, which is just this, this apathy that just can overtake you. We just think, well, I'm, I'm good. It's all good. I don't need to pursue. I don't need to push. I don't need to do. Or it could be compromise. All these things could separate us from God. But what Jesus is looking for is a people who will stay connected to him. Let's, let's explore that idea for just a moment before I jump, jump into my five points today, okay? Um, there's going to be five. They're from the word of God. All right, here we go. Let's explore that idea for just a moment. In John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, this is what it says. It says, abide in me, this is Jesus speaking, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Okay, so this is the image that I often get or that I've heard of the Christian life. And I'm going to use an analogy from a movie. Just to be clear, I'm not recommending this movie from the pulpit. I'm just telling you a great uh, a picture of this. Um, uh, there's a movie that came out in the late 80s. It's a classic. It was called Back to the Future. And in this particular movie, um, there was the, the main character. His name was Marty McFly, and he was a skateboarder. I was never a skateboarder. Anybody here ever a skateboarder? Do we have any skateboarders here? Oh, yeah, come on, Jeff. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, I mean, yeah, Jeff, were you a skateboarder? You were, yeah, come on. So I could see that. So on the skateboard, and what he would do in this, in this movie is to get around, he would get on his skateboard, and he would grab onto the back of a truck or a car, and he would let that truck or car propel him forward and carry him in, in a direction. And then when he, when he was done with that, he would let go, and the, the skateboard would slowly start to lose momentum, and it would slow down. As long as he was connected to the car, he had power to move forward. But when he let go of the car, he began to lose momentum, and his momentum began to die. It began to die. This church is the Christian life. Abide in me, and I in you. What does it mean? Stay connected to Jesus. As long as you're connected to him, as long as you're in intentional pursuit of him, as long as you are pursuing him and, and holding fast to him and holding fast to Jesus, there's momentum to propel you forward. But when you let go, and my goodness, church, can this not happen so easily to all of us? 
where we just get so caught up in the life that we're living, the things that we're doing, that we forget the most important ingredient. And it is Jesus. And to this idea, Jesus says, Do you know that with me you will bear much fruit, but without me you can do nothing? Now, I want to equate this idea of nothing with the idea of spiritual death. You know, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Do you know that there's a life that overflows anything that you experience in your life? Do you know that there is a life that we can have in Jesus that can give us a purpose and a passion uh, for the things of life? Do you know that we can experience that in him? And just as we can experience that in him, we can also experience the opposite of that where we're not connected to Jesus. And we're experiencing this nothing that he's talking about. But here's the good news, church. And this is the good news from the Bible today. This is the good news from the book of Revelation today as we dive into it. Is that nothing does not stop God. See, nothing doesn't stop God. Why is that? Because God can actually take nothing and make it into something. See, God created the universe out of In the beginning was the heavens and the earth. God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void, is what it says, and darkness was over the face of the deep. God took that moment to speak life and light into the world. God created something out of nothing. Romans 4.17 says, God creates new things out of nothing. Job 26 verse 7 says, He tr- stretches out the north over the empty space. He hangs the earth on nothing. Nothing does not stop God. God can use nothing to make something. Now again, for us, this idea of nothing here, I'm connecting it to this idea of spiritual death, of being separated from God. Without me, you can do nothing. But check this out. In Luke chapter 137, it says this, For with God, nothing is impossible. Without me, you can do nothing. But with me, nothing is impossible. Church, we need to stay connected to Jesus. And if I were to kind of put together a main idea today, it's this idea that without Jesus, you can do nothing, but with him, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. So how does this practically work? How do we fight against the nothing? How do we fight against this this idea of spiritual death? How do we avoid the state of nothingness? The answer is this. We need to intentionally pursue Jesus. And we're going to find today five commandments that Jesus makes, five commands in the book of Revelation to the church at Sardis, which is the grace that he gives as an opportunity for them to turn from their nothing living to a life that is full of the life that he gives. Revelations chapter 3, verses 2 to 3. And this is what it says, Wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you've heard and believed it first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as an unexpected thief. Here's the five commands. Number one, wake up! Can you guys say that back to me, please? One, two, three. Wake up! I needed that today. Wake up! All right. Here's what David Guzek says. In its history, the city of Sardis was easily conquered twice before, like I mentioned, and it wasn't the attacking armies overwhelmed Sardis, but because overconfidence made them to stop being watchful. 
The spiritual state of the church in Sardis was a reflection of the city's historical character. Here's the first thing that Jesus commands us to do is wake up. He commands the church in Sardis, and through them he commands us, wake up, keep watch. Ephesians 6.18 says, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Colossians 4.2 says, devote yourselves in prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 says, Be on your guard, not asleep like others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. 1 Peter 5, 8, Stay alert, watch out, for your great enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Matthew 26, 41, Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Church, we need to wake up. What is it about waking up? It's intentional. It can be sometimes hard to wake up. Just ask my son. Anybody with teenagers in the house today? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. If you ever had teenagers in the house, it's hard to wake up. It takes intentionality to wake up. You've got to choose to wake up sometimes. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to come alive. I'm going to make a choice to be aware. I'm going to make a choice to watch out. I'm going to make a choice to, to intentionally go after the things of God. See, this is the grace of Jesus to this church to call out to them to wake up. To remind them that, listen, you think you're alive, but you've been spiritually dead. You think that you've got full, uh, you're full of everything, but really what you have is nothing without me. So wake up. So wake up. This idea of becoming aware of or, 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 or of your surroundings or, or paying attention again brings me back to the idea that we have of the fear of the Lord. And I love this idea. The fear of the Lord, one of the greatest definitions I've heard is, is a constant awareness of his presence. In Proverbs 14, 27, it says, The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. It's an awareness of him. Wake up. Jesus is real. He's with you. He's surrounding you. He's got a plan for your life. He hasn't forsaken you. Wake up. Wake up. That's number one. Number two, strengthen what remains. Revelation 3, verse 2 says, Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. What is this? This is intentionally resume your pursuit of Jesus. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. Strengthen what remains. Come on, go back to the fundamentals. Go back to the foundation. This is this idea, once again, that we've heard before. and We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But this idea of let's go back to our first love. God is always drawing us back into right relationship with him. Strengthen what remains. Strengthen what remains. For I have not found your works perfect before God. What does that mean? Not found your works perfect before God. I, we get a little glimpse of this idea of strengthening what remains and the fact that works are not perfect before God. In, in again, Matthew chapter 7, uh, 21, which is another passage, uh, it's 21 to 23, is probably one of the scariest passages in the Bible. And it says this, it says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven. 
On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, in your name, did we not prophesy and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name? And I will reply to them, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. And if you hear that for the first time and you're in shock, <laughs> let me just explain this to you. What it's saying here is not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, in the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. And then at the end, it gives us the key, which is I never knew you. So how do we do the will of the Father? Is it, you know, we take the Bible and we get the rules, we list them out, and then we just accomplish that? We just, you know, checklist, check, 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 check. No, this is not a religion, church. This is a relationship. And we do the will of the Father by knowing him. In other words, what it's saying here is that the right works with the wrong motives are found wa wanting. Here's, here's the big idea in this point. Be watchful that you stay in authentic pursuit of Jesus. Not just the things. Not just the things. It's about a relationship, church. Number three, go back to what you heard and believed at first. Psalm 77, 10 through 12 says, And I said this in my anguish, but I remember the years of my right hand of the Most High. I remember the works of the Lord. Surely I remember your wonders of old, and I will also meditate on all your works and talk of your deeds. Daryl Johnson says, keep on remembering, never allow yourself to forget. What is this? Do you remember what Christ has done for you? Do you remember the work that he did in you? Do you remember how he saved you, how he turned your life around, how he set your feet upon a solid ground? Come on, somebody. You know what this is? This is, this is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Do you remember what he's done for you? Do you remember it? Rehearse it in your heart. God, I remember when I was sick and I was praying and God, you healed me. God, I remember when we were lacking funds and finances and God, your word is true because it says that I've never seen the righteous begging for bread and, and we experienced it in our life. Tanya, I remember that time when we were having a tough time and, 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 and nothing was going well and the kids got together and they prayed that God would bring us some food, God would bring us something and, and that day we pulled up in our driveway and we opened up the mailbox and inside was a $200 gift card to Superstore right when we needed it. I remember I remember God's faithfulness. I remember when we were trying to look for a house, and we were praying, God, give us a house with a, with a kitchen table and a backyard, and give us, Lord, we, we were asking for these things from you, and then God provided it. I remember, I remember. Do you remember the things that God has done for you? Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Remember. Number four, hold to it firmly. Philippians 3.12 says, not only that I obtained all this but, or am perfected, but I press on that I may lay a hold of that for which Christ has also laid a hold of me. I love this quote from William Barclay. A man who walks hand in hand with Christ cannot be taken unawares by his coming. Hold. Come on, this is that image of the little child. You know, I, um, I loved picking up my kids when they were younger. And I remember... Um, my one daughter, I remember I would pick her up, Ashlyn, and she was a clinger. And I loved that. Because I would pick her up, and I would hold on to her, and she would just, I could pick her up. 
And she would be like a reverse backpack on my chest. It was awesome. I, I love it because she would cling to me. That's the image I think that God wants us to have of him. Are you clinging to Jesus? Intentionally clinging to him. Can I just tell you, church, I believe you are. I believe the fact that you got up this morning and made a choice to, to get out of bed on this snowy morning and, and get in your car and drive to a church tells me that God is working in your life and you, you are making the choice to cling to him. If you got out of bed this morning and you turned on your online service, you are making a choice to cling to him. Hold firmly to him. And here's the last one, you guys. Repent and turn to Jesus again. Acts 3.19 says, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Come on, when you hear this term, I don't know, if you grew up in the church, this could be a very scary term. You know, that, that hellfire and brimstone preaching. But I want you to hear the, the tenor of this. Repent. This is your opportunity. I'm coming to you in grace. I'm coming to you because I love you. I'm coming to you, says the Lord, because I've got a plan for your life. I'm coming to you because I know the thoughts I have towards you and the, and I have the plans I have for you and the plans of peace and not of evil to give you a hope and a future. I know, says the Lord. And he comes to you with a good word. And he comes to you to warn you and remind you if you've been sleeping, if you've been not paying attention to the things of God, he comes and he gives grace by saying there's an opportunity for you to turn right now. Here's the image of repentance. That's it. It means to turn from and to turn to. J.I. Packer says this, repentance as we know it is basically not moaning and remorse, but turning and change. This isn't meant to be intimidating or intense. It's actually very simple. It's actually a call from Jesus to you. Hey, you're getting a little too far from me. Hey, it, it's the good father. T turn around. Hey, you don't see it, but you're coming closer to something. It's like when, I, when, I, when my kids were younger and they would start running towards the road and I would say, hey, and if it got a little intense, it's because I cared so much. Hey, Turn around. Repent. There's a road there. There's cars there. They're going to stop. Turn. Come back to me. Come back to me. And this is the last cry of Jesus. This is the last commandment. Turn to Jesus again. Turn to him. What does he promise for those who do that? What does he promise for those who turn back to him? All who are victorious will be clothed in white. Oh, I love that image. Love covers a multitude of sin. The first thing that, G that God did with Adam and Eve when he called them out and said, hey, where are you? Is he gave them clothes and he covered them. It's the same thing that he does for us today when we return to him and we, we respond to his call and we repent and we come back to him as he takes his garments and he, he covers us. And he makes us white as snow. He says, I will never erase your names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches.
You see, church, without Jesus, you can do nothing. But with him, nothing's impossible. Nothing is impossible. You can't live a life without purpose with him. You can't live a life without meaning with him. Nothing is impossible. So we're going to close there today. I'm going to invite my beautiful wife to come up. And she's going to close the service. There's a call. That sermon just resonated. There's so many big points in that. Wake up. Are you, am I, awake and aware of God's presence in our lives? Wake up. And I know that it's so easy in day in and day out as we kind of go through our days of life to become familiar, to become aware, to just kind of just be mediocre. But Jesus says, I don't want you to be lukewarm, hot or cold, but just don't be that in between. Wake up. Remain steadfast. Recall. I find that that is one of the greatest ways to wake myself up spiritually is to remember. To remember. Because sometimes our present circumstances don't look the way we need them to or want them to. And life can be difficult. Finances can be hard. Health challenges can face us. But when I can remember what God has done, who he is, who the word of God promises, promises me that he is, faith begins to rise up. And I begin to feel my soul awaken. Yes, God, I remember. Even though I don't see it right now, I remember. I remember reading about how you, you broke through how you did things in your word, the promises, the stories that I've read that have built up faith in me, what I have experienced in my life. I remember, I remember the miracle. I remember, I remember. And a little bit of me wakes up. And then more of me wakes up. Are you, am I, are we awake and aware? He's moving, he's not far. We need to abide. We need to draw closer. We need to come in. Lean into him. He is all you need. Nothing is impossible with him. If you're feeling stagnant, if you're feeling a little numb, I'm going to pray that he would just breathe life and that things would come into remembrance just as we're here in the stillness of this moment. We're not going to take a long time. But they just things would come back. Oh, yes, I remember. Oh, yes. Your word said, your word said, the 
my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. I remember, I remember, I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust that. Your word says to trust in the Lord and lean not on your understanding, on my own understanding. So I'm going to just trust you, God, in this business deal. I remember that's what the word said. And I remember that you came through last time. I remember. Jesus, followers after your heart. That's what we want. A people who know their God. A people who know their God. That is the key right there, that we would be people that would abide in you, in you and us, that we would draw near and then you're drawing near to us. It's this beautiful, active, alive, awake, life that you call us to and I don't want anything different I want to be in pursuit Father we want to be a church that pursues you so God I pray for hearts today that maybe are feeling a little dry a little numb, a little hard life can do that Father would you remind us scriptures that we've held on to in the past, incidents where we've seen you move in our personal life, remind us. Would we hear you calling us? Stop. Don't keep going that way. Stop. Repent. Turn. It's not an angry voice. It's a loving father saying, stop. Come. Draw near to me. Abide in me. Come. We have a life to live. Every day that you have is a day to live for him. Draw us deeper, Lord. Remind us. Wake us up, Lord. Wake us up spiritually. Wake us up, Lord. Wake us up. We want to be hot. We don't want to be cold. We don't want to be lukewarm. We want to be hot. Our relationship on fire for you. Our love and our desire for your presence burning in our soul. Our resolve strong. My hope is built on nothing else than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. That is why we get to stand he is my reason. He is my purpose. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to share a little bit of a story. The faithfulness. The faithfulness of God. Almost seven years ago, my husband of 44 years passed away mesothelioma, asbestos poisoning from the work that he had done. I was devastated. Ralph was there with him too when he was going through this. And my, my 
come to the house and, and be with Dwayne, and none of us thought he would die. I mean, we're talking about a life of serving God. So why, why, God, why did he die? He was chapter president for Full Gospel Businessmen, an elder in the church. I was part of Women's Aglow for years and women's ministries for years. And yet this came into our household. And I do this little run-walk thing through the ravine behind the community center in the mornings, and I'm crying out to God and saying, Why, God? Why did he die? I didn't think he was going to die. It's almost seven years ago now. And for the second time in my life, I heard him call my name, and he said, Sharon, there's a time to laugh. There's a time to cry. There's a time to be born, and there's a time to die. And I said, okay, God, I don't want to be alone for the rest of my life. I don't want to be alone. And so most of you know that I own the Roadhouse Grill, and I'd be standing by the door there, and I'd say, is that the one, God? Is that the one? I've known Brian McIntosh for almost 40 years. The name of the restaurant is McJack's Roadhouse Grill. The Mac part comes from Macintosh, from my son-in-law, who is his brother. <laughs> it is funny when you think about it. God has a sense of humor as well. And, and who he brings in our lives, we don't get to choose that. But he is so faithful faithful to bring us through those times as we keep our minds, our eyes, our hearts, our words stayed on him. He has given us many promises that we receive as we walk this walk. It's up to us to receive what God has for us. And I thank God for bringing us through that time. Every Father's Day, on Dwayne's birthday, my girls, they type, they write me, they text me. Oh, Mom, I miss him. Yes, we miss him. Did he have more work to do? I guess not. It's up to us to carry on and do what God would have us do and love him and thank him, not for the stuff, but in the stuff for him as he brings us through. And thank you for that testimony. I love the testimony of God's goodness and his faithfulness. Amen. It's just like that thing, that, that encouragement. That just, yes, he is good. He is faithful. He's a mighty God. I can get through this because my God is able. Amen. And I want you to take that away this morning as you go into your weeks, as you go into whatever will meet with you this week <laughs> or whomever. It might be a who. God is going to get you through. He is faithful. He is good. He's coming after you. He's calling you. Draw near to him. Respond. Don't wake up. Get into the word. Pray. Talk to him. That's how you wake up. Surround yourself with people who believe and are pursuing in pursuit of him too, which we're doing. Amen? Amen. Isn't God good? What a great morning.